It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. Ephesians chapter number 4, we're going to be beginning in verse number 17. This message that I want to bring to you this morning is about being stuck. A lot of times what happens in our lives as believers is we hit a place called a plateau. We, we come up to a place where we're coming up, coming up, and then we just level off. And what happens is we get used to where we are, we get stuck. And I want to talk specifically about this morning how to get unstuck. The, the thing about being in a rut is don't stay there. And a, if, you, if you get in a rut spiritually, it's a dangerous place. I was saying earlier, you know, God has called us to move from glory to glory, not from rut to rut. And, and so as a believer, you should be walking in victory and in glory. But oftentimes what we find is we get in a rut spiritually. And getting in a rut spiritually is a dangerous place to be because you're going to get bored and it shows that you've gotten callous in an area or two. And uh, some uh, Brother Jerry and Sister Marty were telling me both today. They said, you know, all a rut is, it's a, it's a grave with both ends kicked out. <laughs> Get it? It's a grave with both ends kicked out. But, but a rut is, is, is unique because this. It's the, if you've ever gotten stuck in mud, you know the more you spin your tires, the deeper you get. The more you get stuck, something actually has to change before something can change. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. That's all it means to be insane. It means you just keep doing the same thing, but you just keep thinking things are going to get better. Something's got to change. And if you've ever been mudding or in a truck playing in the mud or whatever, sometimes you get in some mud, and if you just keep pressing on the gas, you're going to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. You've got to get out and put some boards under there or, or get something to pull you out. And so whenever we get into a rut spiritually, God is looking for us to change something. And so that's where we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, so we're going to be beginning here in verse number 17. And and the reason why we're beginning here is because Paul is, is talking to uh, the, the, the Ephesian church and he's telling them, you know, how they used to be or how it was. But you can glean something in this. Watch this. He says in verse number 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second and kind of unpack these three verses, and then we're going to move forward into getting unstuck. But I want to talk first about how we get stuck. And I want you to know that you're not unstuckable. You are perfectly capable of getting stuck. You're perfectly capable of getting in a rut. Um, and and uh, as A.W. Tozer said, um, you know, if you're, if you're in a rut, 
there's only two things that's going to happen. You're either going to rot or you're going to have revival. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you're in a rut in any area of your life, choose revival over rotting. Amen. Amen. And so choosing revival is a big step. But, but let's look at the progression of, of, of this. And I want to unpack this for just a second. So he says, first off, that once you've been born again, he's talking to believers, once you've been born again, that you should from this point, henceforth, that's how my grandmother used to talk, right? Once you get from this point, henceforth, you ought not walk that way anymore. You shouldn't be walking as other Gentiles walk. And this word Gentiles, he's using it because of the church there in Ephesus, that was a Gentile congregation of believers. And, but what he's basically telling them is, you shouldn't be walking like the world. You shouldn't be walking like society around you. If everybody else has a short temper, should yours be short too? You, or should you be different? Should you be changed? Should you be um, renewed? And so what we're looking at here in this passage is he's saying, you should not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And, and what that basically means is doing what's right in your own eyes. What the society around us does is called a societal standard. It is the culture around us does what it thinks is just and right. And we have societal standards. For example, um, 40 years ago, divorce was frowned upon. Today, you're almost, you know, divorce is, is common practice. In fact, it's more common in the church than in the world, Amen. shockingly. But what, but what we see is there is a push for you to reflect the culture more than you reflect God. And that's what we're talking about here is not walking in the vanity of your mind. It's easy to just reflect what the world's pushing out. But it takes work for you to draw on God and allow God's light to shine because you're going against culture. In other words, swimming upstream takes strength. Anybody can go downstream. I heard a preacher say, any dead fish can go downstream. <laughs> and, and, and so if you want to go downstream like the culture and the society around you, it's easy. Because they're going to push and push and push and constantly be working to form you into what they think you should be. They think you should be this, this, and this. We have right now in our society pushing on all kinds of issues, whether it be from uh, gender uh, issues, not knowing that there's only two genders, right? Male and female created he, them. Amen. He didn't say male, female, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 created he, them. Amen. It was just two genders. That's all that God created was two. And... It, and, and sodomy. God is against sodomy and all kinds of stuff. We know that it's an abomination to God, but yet our culture wants us to reflect what it embraces. So the Gentiles will walk in the vanity of their mind, but you have been called to a higher standard of living as a Christian. You no longer are to walk in the vanity of your mind, but you are to walk in the power of the Spirit. And you cannot walk in the power of the Spirit and in the vanity of your mind. Amen. You can't please your flesh and God at the same time. Amen. They're contrary one to another. 
And so you've got to make that choice. And that's why Paul says from this point forward, don't walk in the vanity of your mind. In other words, from this point forward, stop reflecting the culture around you. Stop living the way they think you should live. It is not going to matter in a hundred years if you pleased the society around you. What is going to matter in a hundred years is whether you were right with God. And if you're right with God, you ought not walk in the vanity of your mind, but you ought to walk in the power of the Spirit. And so that's what he's getting on here. He says in verse number 18 that they have their understanding darkened. And you know, that's what sin does. Sin darkens the mind. Sin darkens the understanding. Um, it, it never stays at a surface level. It always brings you an entrance at a surface level. Sin always is a little bit. But the end game of Satan is to bring you to a place where he can sever you from God. His end game is a place where he removes you from having the life of God. His end game is to get all the joy out of your soul. His end game is to get that hunger and desire for righteousness out of your soul. His end game is to get you to no longer walk in the power of the Spirit, but in a form of godliness. If you want to walk in a form of godliness, Satan will let you do it all day long and twice on Sunday. But if you desire to walk in the power of the Spirit, you will face opposition all day long. And you've got to decide which one you're going to walk in. Power of the Spirit or in your flesh. And so he says that, we have our under, that they have their understanding darkened. And watch this. This is very key to this. This is very key. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now watch this. You know, ignorance is just not knowing something. It doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that you haven't learned something yet. And so somebody who is not understanding God, who is walking in the vanity of their mind, all it means is that they don't really know God yet. They haven't tasted to see that God is good. And, and what happens is they become alienated from the life of God through a blind heart. This word, blind, the blindness of the heart, that word, it, it, the root word of it is callousness. A callous heart. A callous heart will produce blindness. You ever been around somebody with a callous heart? You could be pouring your soul out to them, and they just say, eh, I'm hungry. Right? You could be broken, on the side of the road, right? And they just pass you by. You ever been in a place where you were really hurting and you, you, you just knew somebody loved you or you hoped that they loved you? And you just told them, this does not work for me. This doesn't, I don't want to do this. I don't, and they do it anyways. Right? What is that? That's callousness. Callousness. It's not mercy. And what happens when we're talking in respect to God, we become callous Whenever God has revealed something to us in the Word of God, and if we are unwilling to respond, if we're unwilling to obey what God said, it will produce callousness or blindness. 
We, we can know all kinds of things about God, but God's looking for people who actually will obey Him. Amen. You, you can memorize a book about God, but God's looking to see if you will respond to what He said. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. It, 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 it's quite a different thing. It's quite a different thing. I was saying earlier, you could buy a book about systematic theology and memorize it from page 1 to page 6,000. You can literally memorize everything that everybody has ever known or written about God. You could memorize it, but it still doesn't mean that you know God. And if you know God, you'll obey God. That's what he's getting at. And what it produces, if you become callous, if you become blind in the heart, unresponsive to something God has told you to do, if you know for a fact God's Word says X is wrong, whatever it may be, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness, lying, idolatry, covetousness, envying, pride, backbiting, murmuring, complaining, all these things. When you know God says not to do something and you do it anyways, it will produce a callous heart. And that is the genesis for getting stuck. When you begin to get in a place where you refuse to heed God's word, it will, it, you will begin to get deeper in the mire and the muck. You will no longer be walking from victory to victory, from glory to glory, but you'll be going from one rut to another rut to another rut to another rut. Amen? How many of you know believers like that? They can't get out of the rut. They, they just constantly in ruts all the time. Constantly in crisis spiritually all the time. Because there's every time they run across certain scriptures, they willingly disobey. Well, I know that that's what God said back then, but you know this is now. Hello? We're not supposed to walk in the vanity of our mind reflecting the society. We're supposed to be reflecting God. And the only way that we can reflect God is if we're allowing His Word to have full course in our lives. Not only head knowledge, but actually fleshing out what God's Word says. When God's Word says to love our neighbors or to love people that hate us, love, love our enemies, don't just memorize it. Do it. Amen. That's what he's talking about. But when we refuse to do those things, that's when we become hard-hearted, callous-hearted, or blind. And what happens is we alienate ourselves from the life of God right here. We alienate ourselves from the life of God. This means that you no longer have the power of God flowing through your life because you willingly chose to disobey God. When God says not to do this, you do it anyways. You set yourself up for a rut. You are alienating yourself from the life of God. You are becoming just a, a, a shell of what you should be. In other words, a form of godliness on the outside, characterized like a corn husk. You know the outside of a corn husk? You can, you can do that, but not have anything on the inside. Amen. But if you'll begin to obey God and allow the, the power of God and the Spirit of God to actuate you and flow through you, you'll actually become the ear of corn and not just the outside shell. You see, God's desire 
is that you have a substance, a reality of the life of God. This comes through abiding in the vine. In John chapter 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will bear much fruit. It doesn't say if you abide in me, I'll abide in you and you'll be a shell of who you should be. But what we find in Christianity today is people are a shell of who they should be in God. Because they willingly disobey God in certain areas and they become a shell of who they should be, alienating themselves from the life of God. What is the life of God? The life of God is joy in your heart. A joyful walk. When, when life circumstances turn upside down, God's joy does not depart. But actually, it abides ever closer. When everybody else turns their back on you, but you've got God, God will be all that you need. When everybody else walks away from you, but you know that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Though every other friend, though every other family may turn their back on you, God never will. And those things will produce joy. What is the, the alienating yourself from the life of God? God, His, His Spirit produces in you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness. All these fruits of the Spirit are produced as you abide in Christ. They're not produced because you scored high on a test. They're not produced because you memorized something. The fruit of the Spirit are produced in you by God because you obey God, because you walk and abide in Christ. And so someone who is willingly disobedient to God in whatever area it may, it may be a small area, but if you're willing to disobey God even in a small area, you will not have the full life of God that you should. You will be a shell of who you should be in Christ. You, in other words, you will be going through the motions. And I want to tell you this, God doesn't want you to have to go through the motions. Amen. God's Spirit is enough to revive you today, to bring to you the fullness of life from God, flowing from His throne to you, reviving you, refreshing you, renewing you, rebuilding you, remolding you, remaking you, refiring you. God's Spirit will produce in you what nothing else in this life can. God will make you who He has called you to be. On fire, witness, boldly proclaiming His truth to a dark and fallen world. God's calling only happens when you're flowing in the Spirit of God. And so what happens here is, is when we become callous in heart, uh, that understanding is darkened. And look what it says here in verse number 19, please. It says that they being past feeling. Do you know what it is to be past feeling? You, you, uh, um, our, whenever you're past feeling, it's you, you no longer even respond to somebody. You know before you even talk to them, they're going to whine about something. And you just put on this stern face, past feeling, not even caring what they say, right? Amen? And so when it comes to the things of God, if you willingly disobey God, you will, we, you will not only cut yourself off from the life of God, alienate yourself from the life of God, you will become past feeling. 
Now watch this. Past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now this word, uh, we don't use this commonly, uh, lasciviousness. Now that is uh, probably for two reasons. Number one is because it's hard to say. And number two, it's hard to spell. But thirdly, thirdly, it's because not many people know what it means. Not many people know what it means. I want to tell you what this word means. It, it, it means pride manifested. Pride manifested. Shameless. Shameless sinfulness. Okay? I, I, want, to, I want to tell you what it means. When you call somebody out, when you call somebody out, you say, this is wrong. You know what happens? They either say, oh yeah, you're right. Or they say, so what? And they keep doing it. Right? Well, when it comes to the things of God, lasciviousness is when somebody knows something's wrong. And you may not use these words, but because you don't allow the Word of God to change you, you say, so what? And you continue exhibiting this behavior anyways. That's lasciviousness. It is knowing what is wrong, but pridefully saying, so what? And doing it anyways. This is a rut. This is how you no longer walk from glory to glory. How you no longer go from victory to victory, but you're stuck. Nothing works anymore. You're bored. Nobody loves you. All this kind of stuff. It's because you're stuck in a rut. And there's only one way to get out of the rut. Amen? You've got to obey God. That's it. You've got to obey God. But this rut is produced by our own disobedience. I want you to see that. By our own willingness. It is produced by us not saying, okay, Lord. You see, it all comes down to this thought that I had last, last week. I, I almost preached the second message on it, but then God gave me this one. But, the, you know, the, in the Bible, you know, there's only one potter and there's only one clay. And, and, and how you view that means all the difference, especially in, in, in our world, our Christian world. How you view God. Do you know that most people view God as the clay and they think of themselves as the potter? They think if I'll do this, then God will do that. And if I'll do this, then God will do that. And if I, if I tell God to do this, then God will do this. They look at it completely warped. That old hymn, it said, you know, have thine own way, Lord. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Today's Christian world sings it backwards. Have, it's all my way, Lord. I'm the potter. You're the clay. We're going to do it my way. And so when we begin to set ourselves up in that respect, we are no longer obeying God, even in the small things. And when we no longer obey God, even in the small things, what happens is we begin to cut ourselves off, alienate ourselves from the life of God. This is what it means to this lasciviousness. It is, um, it is pride manifested. Pride manifested. But God's desire is not that you would have only the form of godliness. 
We can, we can you know, bring in some, some uh, robots and some animals and teach them to say yes, no, sing, stand, clap, go, come. Right? But they don't have the power of God working in their spirit. We could, we could go out and buy 200 robots and fill a church up. Every time we say stand, they stand. Every time we say clap, they clap. Right? God doesn't want you to be a robot. God doesn't want you to have a form on the outside. God wants to change you on the inside. God's desire is not just to have, you know, to train you like a, a seal or a dog to jump when He says jump. His desire is to change your heart so that, so that now your heart is to continually always please the Father. We see it modeled in the life of Christ. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting there. We see this modeled in the life of Christ because only Jesus, only Jesus was it ever said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen? Amen. But if we're going to be like Christ... The attitude of our hearts, our goal in life, should not be to retire. The goal of our life should not be to have a nice 401k. The goal of our life should not be to get somebody elected president. The goal of our life should be to please the Father. Jesus said, I came to be about my Father's business. When he came to the temple, he said, this is my father's house. And he cleansed the temple. He said, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. He was all about pleasing the Father, and he did every instant of his life. Not only was he perfectly sinless, but he was perfectly righteous, always pleasing the Father in all that he did. He went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And if we're going to be like Christ, if His life truly flows through you, we say, got Jesus in your heart? Well, where is He? If you're not modeling your life after Him, if you're not aiming to please the Father in all that you do, how can you say with a straight face that you've got Christ in you? If the desire of your heart is not His desire, how can you say that? So we need to check ourselves and make sure that we don't just have a form on the outside, but we're actually responding to God on the inside. You know, there was a time in in Judah's history over in 2 Chronicles. There was a time in Judah's history in 2 Chronicles 27, 28, 29, and 30. I want to tell you about something. There was a father named Ahaz. He was a bad guy. He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And one of the things that he did is he rebelled against God, he desecrated the temple of God, and he began to set up high places in the fields. At one point in time, God sent a prophet to the land to bring them out of captivity from someone that had got them. 
And after that, Ahaz had a chance to change. He had a chance to repent and change. But you know what he did? He, he was stuck and he went deeper. His response was not to turn to God, but to turn to idols. He didn't change. In fact, he emboldened himself against God. And he began to worship the gods of the Philistines and all those around him. You, don't, you may not know the rest of the story. He had a son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah grew up with a heart after God, which goes to show you, no matter who your father is, you don't have to be like your father if your father was rotten. Hezekiah, even though his dad was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had, he pursued God all his days. And he tore down all those strongholds. He reinstituted the Passover and all the, all the holy holidays that, that Israel had. In fact, there was only one time that Israel ever kept the Passover in the second month of the year, and that was under Hezekiah. Because they realized once he came into rule and reign, they realized that they had not been keeping the law of God. And for the only and first time ever, they kept the Passover 14th day of the second month. It's amazing. That's 2 Chronicles 30 verse 2. And, 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 and that is only because they decided to pursue God. Amen? Amen. And not remain stuck. You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith. It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. We could, we could go out and buy 200 robots and fill a church up. Every time we say stand, they stand. Every time we say clap, they clap. Right? God doesn't want you to be a robot. Amen. God doesn't want you to have a form on the outside. God wants to change you on the inside. God's desire is not just to have, you know, to train you like a, a seal or a dog to jump. When He says jump, His desire is to change your heart so that, so that now your heart is to continually always please the Father. We see it modeled in the life of Christ. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting there. We see this modeled in the life of Christ because only Jesus, only Jesus was it ever said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Amen? Amen. Amen. But if we're going to be like Christ, the attitude of our hearts, our goal in life should not be to retire. The goal of our life should not be to have a nice 401k. The goal of our life should not be to get somebody elected president. The goal of our life should be to please the Father. Jesus said, I came to be about my Father's business. When He came to the temple, He said, this is my Father's house. And He cleansed the temple. 
He said, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. He was all about pleasing the Father, and he did every instant of his life. Not only was he perfectly sinless, but he was perfectly righteous, always pleasing the Father in all that he did. He went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And if we're going to be like Christ, if his life truly flows through you, we say, got Jesus in your heart? Well, where is he? If you're not modeling your life after him, if you're not aiming to please the Father in all that you do, how can you say with a straight face that you've got Christ in you? If the desire of your heart is not His desire, how can you say that? So we need to check ourselves and make sure that we don't just have a form on the outside, but we're actually responding to God on the inside. You know, there was a time in, in Judah's history over in 2 Chronicles. There was a time in Judah's history in 2 Chronicles 27, 28, 29, and 30. I want to tell you about something. There was a father named Ahaz. He was a bad guy. He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And one of the things that he did is he rebelled against God, he desecrated the temple of God, and he began to set up high places in the fields. At one point in time, God sent a prophet to the land to bring them out of captivity from someone that had got them. And after that, Ahaz had a chance to change. He had a chance to repent and change, but you know what he did? He, he was stuck, and he went deeper. His response was not to turn to God, but to turn to idols. He didn't change. In fact, he emboldened himself against God. And he began to worship the gods of the Philistines and all those around him. You, don't, you may not know the rest of the story. He had a son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah grew up with a heart after God, which goes to show you, no matter who your father is, you don't have to be like your father if your father was rotten. Amen. Hezekiah, even though his dad was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had, he pursued God all his days. And he tore down all those strongholds. He reinstituted the Passover and all the, all the holy holidays that, that Israel had. In fact, there was only one time that Israel ever kept the Passover in the second month of the year, and that was under Hezekiah. Because they realized once he came into rule and reign, they realized that they had not been keeping the law of God. And for the only and first time ever, they kept the Passover 14th day of the second month. It's amazing. That's 2 Chronicles 30, verse 2. And, 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 and that is only because they decided to pursue God. Amen? and not remain stuck. But Ahaz, Ahaz could have done the same thing. Ahaz could have changed. How many of you know that, that, that God will save sinners? Amen. If you don't think so, look at the life of Paul. 
He was one of the greatest sinners. In fact, he said he was the chief of all sinners, which we all say, no, it's me, Paul. But Paul characterized himself as saying he was the chief of all sinners because he, he was helping persecute Christians. Can you imagine? We think of Muslims today that persecute Christians, that kill Christians. And this guy changed on the road to Damascus, right? Well, if God can change him, God can change anybody. God can change anybody. All right, look in verse number 20. Verse number 20. Now, th this, is, this is the key part of this. That if, if you'll catch a hold of what God is saying right here, you can turn things around in your life. And look, if, if you have been in a wilderness or you've been in a rut spiritually, these principles can apply. Now, you may not be King Ahaz, you may not be wicked and all this kind of stuff, but maybe you're just neglecting to do some of the things that God's called you to do. And when you willingly disobey God, you are separating yourself. You're alienating yourself from God. Your understanding's getting darker. Your heart's getting more callous. And, and you're starving yourself spiritually. And so this is the recipe for revival. This is the recipe for revival we're going to look at right now. This is how we change things. This is how we turn things around. And this happens not just one time. But what I'm telling you about today should be a part of your life every day of your life. You don't just change once. God changes you completely forever. God changes you. Amen? Alright, watch verse 20. He said, but you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So what he's basically saying here is, those of you that are doing right, see, you haven't learned Christ like that. But the, you know, there's some people that haven't just learned this stuff yet. Amen? Amen? You know, sometimes you can sit in church all your life and maybe you, you're more worried about uh, the ball game later on today or something on the stove. You know, maybe you got beans on the stove or something like that. And you may not hear a word that a preacher says for 10 years. You may hear it, but not hear it. Kind of like how husbands and wives are, right? We hear, but we don't hear. We hear the na-na-na-na-na. But do you know that we can do that with preaching? We can do that with the Word of God? We can just treat it like it's just background music. God's Word is not background music. Amen. Amen? God's Word is quick and powerful. It is quickening. It makes alive. And if you'll mix faith with the Word of God, God will change and revolutionize your walk. But you've got to mix faith with the Word. You've got to believe what God says. If you just let words come in your ear and go out your ear, you're no better. Actually, you're going to have a worse judgment in a few years. If you're too busy playing video games while preaching's going on, if you're too busy thinking about this, that, or the other, if you don't have time for God now, guess what? There's going to be a day that you wish you would have. There's going to be a day that you wish you would have put down silly stuff and got serious about God. There's going to be a day and time when you stand before God and you're going to wish that you would have lived the way you should live. 
You're going to wish that you would have made God the most important thing in your life. Now, I know there's all kinds of important things going on today, but there's nothing more important than your heart with God. Amen. So, you know, you haven't learned Christ that way if you've learned Him. Most people just haven't learned. What I was saying, though, is you could sit on a pew all your life for 10 years and not learn anything. But once God makes it real to you, you better respond. Right? Now, here's the, here, there's three steps to this. Three steps to this. But how many of you know that all three steps just mean going to Jesus? That's it. But these three verses here. In verse number 22, this is the first thing that you do. You put off concerning the former conversation, former way of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Your old man is your flesh. It's not, your, not talking about your father right now. Your old man is your nature, your carnal nature. Your old man is the you that cheats and lies and steals. Your old man is the part of you that, that willingly disobeys God. Your old man is the part of you that pushes back when God's Word presses in. You know that one area when, 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 you know, when you got that one precious little thing, and you know what it's like when a preacher won't stop preaching about it? <laughs> Say, who is telling him my stuff? Right? That's your old man. That's something that you won't lay down for Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, if you want to change, if you want to get out of the rut, you want to change, first thing you've got to do is willingly push the old man off. No longer walk according to the way that you think things should be. No longer walk according to the way that the society thinks things should be. But desiring to have a sincere walk with God. Putting off the old man. Putting him off. Not walking according to what you think. Amen? Amen. Verse number 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So notice the process. You cannot have your mind renewed until you first put off the old man. The, the, I'll, I'll give you a word for this, right? Y'all know that, that we're not supposed to say this word anymore, but we say it in here kind of often. That's why I like you. You're, you're not afraid of that word. It's called repent. You, in, in order to change, you've got to put off the old man, and then God will renew your mind. But God's not going to change you He's not going to change your mind until you first put off the old man. How do you put off the old man? Say, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done with it, Lord. Do you know how to show God your words mean something? Unplug the computer. Don't go around that woman. You know how to show God you mean something? Don't do what you know you shouldn't do. If you're an alcoholic, stop going to the bar. Stop going to grocery stores that sell it. Stop going to restaurants that sell it. Why? Why do I got to do that? I mean, why can't I socially drink? Everybody else does. Well, if you're a Christian, 
you shouldn't because the Bible says that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, I don't get drunk. Well, you tell me what God's blood alcohol limit is. Amen. You tell me, is it 0 .50, 0 .05, 0 .80, 0 .01? I don't know. Do you? You don't know. But you do know the Bible says drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. If you know God's against it, don't be for it. And so putting off the old man is just repenting. It is fleshing out what God says. When God says don't, you don't. That's what it means. Putting off the old man. You know that you're weak in an area? I mean, it's a simplistic way of looking at it. But if you've got a, and it's, you know, if you've got a, uh, somebody at, you know, you flirt with at work, stop walking by them. It's really that simple. But you're, you know what? Your flesh, your flesh will say, I can do it. I can do it. I can have one drink. I can tell one lie. I mean, it's to have a better life. If I tell this one lie, I can get ahead. Then I can make things right. All that says is you're not putting off the old man. Amen. That's right, compromised. And so we're called to put off the old man, and then, then, notice the order. Don't ever forget the order. Put off the old man. Don't go that way anymore. Don't do those things anymore. Then be renewed in your mind. That's where, that's where the spiritual vigor comes from. That's where the spiritual fight comes from. See, I, I was you know, talking the other day about um, someone I know that they struggled with uh, pornography on the computer. So you know how they battled it? You know how they battled it? They took their computer out of the room, out of the dark room. And they took it in the living room and set it on the dining room table and facing everybody, right? So that if they were ever on the computer, everybody saw everything they did. If you struggle in that area, try that. And look, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a place where nobody else is, maybe nobody's watching you, then just unplug it. You're not strong enough for it yet. Unplug it. Hmm. I think I hit something right there. But, but you've got to desire God more than you desire to please your flesh. That's what it means to put off the old man. Who do you desire to please more, yourself or your God? You say, oh, you know, Christ is in me. The hope of glory, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm born again. Born again to what? Born again to more sin? Did Jesus tell the woman caught in adultery, go and sin less? Go and do a little bit better? He said, go and sin no more. Stop sinning. Stop doing what God hates. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Jesus wouldn't have said it. He didn't say, go and sin less. Fly, you know, you don't have to be a Jesus freak. You can fly just a little bit lower than that. You know, just get by. You don't have to rock the boat too bad. That's not what Jesus said. Amen. That woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, you know, just do, go, and, go and be a good productive member of society. Don't rock the boat. 
He said, go and sin no more. I didn't say it. He did. I'm just repeating him. All right. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This renewal takes place one and only one way. This renewal takes place not because you watch Brother Kenny's DVD, which I don't have. This renewal don't take place because you read Brother Kenny's book, which I didn't write. You didn't send in a seed to TBN and get your mind renewed. Always skeptical about sowing my seed. Come on, give me the Word of God. The thing that changes you, the thing that renews you is receiving the Word of God in sincerity and readiness to obey it. That's what changes you. Nothing more, nothing less. Receiving God's Word in sincerity as truth, as the Word of God, and being willing to obey it, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost may be, I'm going to obey it. I'm going to obey it. And this, this renewing in the spirit of the mind, that is the Word of God. As the Word of God cleanses you. One of the things that, that Paul writes in a few, a few verses later, he's talking to husbands. And he tells husbands, wash your wives with the Word of God, right? And, that, and what he's talking about is a symbol of how Christ washes the church with the Word of God. He purifies the church with the Word of God. And what we should do is allow the Word of God to cleanse us, to renew us, to take off those rough edges, right? To bring us from impurity to purity. Though our sins were as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow, as it says in Isaiah. So the Word of God, as Hebrews 4.12 says, is quick and powerful. It can divide asunder between soul and spirit. That word quick means it makes alive. The Word of God is what makes things possible. When the Word of God is mixed with faith, the Spirit of God will quicken your soul. And this renewing of the mind, this renewing of the mind takes place by the Word of God. And then the, the, the last part, the last verse, it says, And put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness. This inward change, this renewing of the, the mind by the Spirit of God must take place first before you can live a righteous life. If you try to do verse 24 without doing verse 23, you'll become a cantiquerous, Contentious, prideful, angry, bitter, frustrated Christian. Nothing will work because you'll be trying to do things in your own strength. If you try to put on the new man without first being renewed, it won't work. It's like if if you need a bath, you don't just put on new clothes. If you put on new clothes when you need a bath, you're still going to stink. Amen. 
You can put on all the new clothes you want, but until you take a bath, nobody's going to want to be around you. And what God's calling us to do first is to allow the Word of God. Just like a husband washes his wife with the Word of God, Christ washes the church with the Word of God, he, he, you should be allowing Him to wash you, cleanse you, mold you, make you, renew you with the Word of God. Then you'll be ready to walk as a new man. Then you'll be ready to forgive others when they do you wrong. Then you'll be ready to love your enemies. Amen? You won't say, oh great, somebody did me wrong again and I know i got to love them, but I don't want to. You see, that is somebody operating in their own strength. But if the Word of God has cleansed you and made you new, you'll just do it. They'll do you wrong and you won't think twice about it. You'll love them anyways. Why? Because you're changed. You're renewed. You're not walking in the old man and God has changed you on the inside. Then your outside will manifest. That's all it is. It is just walking like Christ walks. You know, we used to have those bracelets. What would Jesus do? You know, you're called to live like Christ. Putting on, putting on the new man is putting on Christ. It's not saying that you've got to, you know, put on sandals in a robe like Jesus had. It means you've got to operate like Jesus operated. Aiming to please the Father at all times. Amen. Say, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to go to church and pay my dues, right? This i got to suck it up for an hour or three. And, 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 and then, it'll, then, you know, I, then I'll take care of business later. No. You see, when you've been renewed, your, your aim, your desire is to please God all the time. If your aim and your desire is to please God for an hour or three on Sundays, you missed verse 23. You haven't actually allowed the Word of God to renew you and change you. I'm going to close with Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy. Before I go on, I want to ask you a question. If God asked you to present yourselves today as a sacrifice, could you present yourself to God as a holy sacrifice? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hey, if you're not right, if you're not perfect, don't feel bad. Nobody is. The important thing is to surrender to God. Maybe you messed up yesterday. Maybe you messed up for the last years, two years, three years. Why can't today be the day that everything changes? Why can't today be the day that you allow the Word of God to change you from the inside out? Why can't today be the day that you put off the old nature? Why can't today be the day of a new beginning? Why can't today be the day that you finally come out of the rut and finally become the man or the woman of God that He's called you to be? Why can't today be the day? Are you ready? Are you willing? Because God's able. 
He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think if you'll trust Him. If you'll grab hold of His Word. Then you could say, yes, here I am, Lord. Presenting yourself a holy, acceptable gift to God. Because it says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Every day that we live, the world's getting worse. And yet, Christians are bending themselves like pretzels more every day. Trying to conform to the world, you will make yourself into a pretzel. And if you don't watch out, you might be a pretzel that God rejects. God has called you to stand up, stand tall, let the light shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. Let your light shine. Don't bend like a pretzel so you don't stand out from a godless culture. God, His desire is to use you as a light to show others truth, to show others Christ. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's your phrase again. Being renewed in the mind transforms you. It changes you. It brings you from one place to another place. Transformation takes place from the inside. Conformity comes from the outside pushing in. Conformity is a cookie cutter. Boom, boom, boom. And that's what the world wants to do to you. It wants to fit you into its cookie mold. To say it's acceptable to do this and not acceptable to do that. It's acceptable to say that you think Jesus is a good teacher and was a great man. It's not acceptable, it's not acceptable to say Jesus is God, manifest in flesh, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, came back to life on the third day, amen, and is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man, no Muslim, no Buddhist, no Hindu, no nobody, no atheist, nobody can come to the Father but by Jesus Christ. Amen. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. You don't got nothing to prove to nobody. What that means is that you may prove, that means that you may flesh out that it becomes not a book in your head, but a life that you live. Amen. You can memorize the Bible in your head, but if you don't obey it, the only good it's going to do you is you're going to get a worse judgment. So you've got to allow the Word of God to transform you. Renew your mind. That way you can flesh out what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Somebody says, I don't know what God's will for my life is. I do. Amen. Present yourself holy to God. Don't allow the world to conform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and flesh out God's will. Amen. That's what His will is for you. Amen? Amen. Amen.
You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith. It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. We're going to have this morning a second message entitled Unstuck. This is part two of a little series that we're in. This message comes out of the 17th verse of Ephesians, chapter number 4. And, and coming into this, uh, one of the things, one of the greatest problems that we have in life is we're hard-headed. Most of us in this room are, are too hard-headed to admit we're hard-headed. Um, but, but we all, in some form or fashion, have a little bit of hard-headedness about us. Sometimes that can be good, uh, because your mind can be like a flint focused on the right thing. But oftentimes we go in the wrong direction and we get hard-headed about it and we continue headlong in it. So this, this series, this message is really a, a, a warning to the believer uh, to not get so set in your ways to make sure that what you do is of God, right? To make sure what you do is of God and if it's not, to turn loose of that thing and get right with God. That's the most important thing that we could do. And in this, this morning... Uh, there, there is a, a, a warning um, if you don't. It, you know, there's, there's times that if somebody's hard-headed, they might end up hard-hearted. There's a very big warning there. If you get too hard-headed, you might end up becoming hard-hearted. The, the reason being is because you're not responding to the Spirit of God. That's the reason being. Now, you might be well-intentioned. You might, you know, be thankful for Jesus. And you might, you know, love to sing worship songs. But if you end up in a spot where you refuse God's warnings, where you refuse to heed His direction, you might end up being hard-headed, which will lead to hard-heartedness. You can see that in the life of Pharaoh, right? He was a little bit hard-headed in the beginning. He wasn't going to let God's people go. And because he was hard-headed, he ended up being hard-hearted. And then he, uh, ultimately, they lost the kingdom of, of Egypt. They, they fell. Um, so you don't want your kingdom to fall, right? Amen. Your kingdom might be your apartment or your living room or whatever it may be. But you don't want that to fall because you're simply being hard-headed, which will lead to hard-heartedness. So this message is really birthed out of that thought. And, and here in this verse... I'm going to read these three verses, but I want you to keep in mind that uh, whenever I'm talking about being stuck, uh, whenever I'm talking about being stuck, what, a, what that spiritually is, is a spiritual rut. And somebody said the other day that a, all a, a rut is, is a grave with the ends kicked out of it. And uh, I think that's pretty true. But a lot of times we can get in a rut. And, and there's uh, A.W. Tozer said there's two responses to being in a rut. Because let's be honest, we all at different points and times in our walk with the Lord get into a rut. We all at different times find ourselves in a place where we're not growing. And that's a, that's a spiritual rut. And what he said is there's only two responses. One, number one is rot. Number two is revival. So it's, it's you know, if you're in a rut, you're either going to experience rot or revival. The choice is yours. 
God, God already chose what He wants for you. God wants you to have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. God wants you to be overjoyed by His presence because the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. God wants you to be at peace. God wants you to have those things in your life, to have abundant life of Jesus said. He came to give life and to give it more abundantly. But if you refuse, hey, that's your choice. You can choose to rot because you're in a rut or you can choose revival to get out of the rut. Amen? Choice is yours. God already chose, but He gives you a choice. Okay? All right. Version number 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying this? Can you imagine him saying it like in our churches? He testifies. He's saying, you know, I think there's some emphasis in there. Uh, whenever he's saying something, but he testifies, that means, you know, you can basically take this to the bank. I'm being serious about this. You need to listen to what I'm saying when, when somebody's giving a testimony. So he's testifying. So he says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, everybody say, that's me. That's me. That you henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So first off, you've been called to walk different than everybody else. Amen. Every, well, nobody, everybody else, you know, does this. Everybody else does that. But you've been called to a different kind of life because you're a Christian. You've been called to a higher place, to a higher standard, to a higher way of life, to a holy life. You've been called to live above the world's standards. Hello? You've been called to live above the world. You are from a higher place. You have been born again from the Spirit of God, and He saved you out of the mud. Amen? Amen. And He's placed you on a rock, which is Jesus Christ. So you've been called to walk not as everybody else. Well, everybody else, when they get slapped, they slap back. You call everybody else out, they'll call you out back, right? You get mad, I'll get madder. You want to raise your voice, I'll raise mine too. You know, you want it, you got it, buddy. You, you know, you can get into that place where you say, you, you want it, you got it, buddy. But that is how Gentiles walk. In other words, when the Bible's referring to Gentiles here, he's talking about those that are out of covenant with God. Those that are not God's people, right? And so when he's talking about we don't walk like that, it is that you need to identify that you're supposed to live different than everybody else, right? Okay. In the vanity of their mind, meaning doing whatever you want when you want. If you're a believer, I got a newsflash for you. It comes across the bottom of the screen today. You are not your own. You belong to God. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not your own. So you're not supposed to walk in the vanity of your own mind. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. As often as I want, well, you just go right ahead. But the Bible says that you're not your own. Amen. You're not supposed to do what you want, when you want, how you want, and as, and as often as you want. You're supposed to do what God wants you to do. Amen. Lord, what would you have me to do? Right? Lord, I need direction over this issue because I feel like hitting my neighbor. <laughs> Lord, I need direction on this issue because I feel like Raising my voice at so-and-so, right? How should I respond, Lord? How should I handle the situation, Lord? Because I know I'm not supposed to walk in the vanity of my own mind. Because look, if you treat me one way, I'm going to treat you the same way. That's what the world does. 
God's called you to a different way. All right. So they walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. And we'll, we'll touch back on that in a minute. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Again, ignorance just means you don't know something. If somebody does not know that God's called them to a different way of life, then they're going to ignorantly cut themselves off from the life of God. Listen, if you don't realize God has called you to a holy standard and to live in a manner that does not please self but pleases God, you will ignorantly cut yourself off from the fullness of life that God has made available to you and to me. God's promise. You'll ignorantly cut yourself off from. It says ignorantly alienated from the life of God. You can, you can know all kinds of Bible. You can quote it backwards, forwards, left and right. But if you live like the world lives, you will ignorantly cut yourself off from all the blessings that God has for you because of your disobedience. Because of your disobedience. Uh, through the blind, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, here we go. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, lasciviousness, simply put, as you know, it means uh, pride manifested. Shameless pride manifested. Lasciviousness is when somebody's sin gets called out you know you're not supposed to do that, right? I can do what I want to do. I'm going to do it more. That's lasciviousness. You want to treat me like that? I'll treat you like this. Lasciviousness takes a, a, a known sin and becomes shameless about it, and it, it is pride manifested. Okay, So it is when somebody's sin is called out, instead of saying, you know what? That was wrong to treat people like that, and I need to change. Lasciviousness is pride shamelessly manifested. It's saying, oh yeah, I treated them like that, and next time I'm going to do it worse. Oh yeah, I did it, and this time I'm going to really do it. That's lasciviousness. It is called shameless shamelessness. It is whenever, whenever sin is exposed, and instead of repented of, it is dug and entrenched down deeper. This is where you get stuck. This is how you get stuck spiritually, lasciviousness. I'm going to show you something in just a second. Uh, one of the kings in 2 Chronicles. I want to show you an example of this I didn't get to um, on our first part of this series um, because he basically shows you how this plays out. Um, but I want you to notice something. I want you to notice this right here. It says that being past feeling gave themselves over to lasciviousness. You know, you can get to a certain point when you've been hard-headed. You start getting a little bit hard-hearted on an area. Now look, you might be able to quote all kinds of Bible, but if you start getting hard-headed and then you become hard-hearted, you're going to become past feeling. Once you get to the point where you're past feeling, all you got left is your pride. And see, if, if you can feel, if God can touch your heart, if God can prick your heart, God can humble you. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not always fun to get humbled by God, but it's necessary. Amen. It's necessary. 
It's necessary for us to be humble because that's when we become clay in His hands. We say, yes, Lord, I am wrong. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Instead of, as the theme of our generation is, I'm the potter, you're the clay, God. Do what I say, right? It's the reverse. So here we go. Uh, look over in 2 Chronicles chapter number 28, please. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. I want to show you an example of this. If you're not sure where 2 Chronicles chapter number 28 is, it's on page number 433 of the King James Bible. Ultra thin, large print. Sure you got that. Okay, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter number 28, while you're turning your pages there, let me just uh, fill in some of the blanks for you. King Ahaz is one of the kings in, in Judah, and he is a rotten king, okay? Um, God gives every man an opportunity to get right with him. But King Ahaz continually chose the wrong path. But there comes a point in time in all of our lives when God gives you more chances. And sometimes whenever we are uh, prone to succumb to pride and not change, then we, you know, we get into that lascivious uh, behavior. Think, bad things happen. I want to I just show you this. This is what I mean by getting stuck and getting in that rut that you can't get out of until you raise your hands up and say, Okay, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for help, Lord. Watch this in, um, in verse number 19. It says that the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. See, he made them, he made them worship false gods. And Tilgath Pilsner, uh, king of Assyria, came unto him, distressed him, but strengthened him not. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. So what did Ahaz do in this, in this instance? Um, he tried to buy off um, another king by taking the vessels out of God's house, the holy vessels. So he took what was God's and gave it to false kings. Okay, That was just one of his bad things. But look what it says in verse number 22. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. Notice that. In the time of King Ahaz's distress, what did he do? Whenever we get into a position where everything's going wrong, we have one of two options. Whether it's your fault or not. You, you, do you know that there are messes of your own making and messes of other people's making that you find yourself in? Amen. Either way, you're in a mess. And, this, and I'm showing you, you can get in a mess either way. It's not, it's not all about how you got in a rut, but it's that you're in a rut and how to get out. And King Ahaz finds himself in a rut. It says the time of his distress... Instead of calling on the Lord, look what it says. He trespassed yet more against the Lord. What he did is, that's lasciviousness. He said, oh, I got myself in a bind because I've been doing wrong according to the Lord. And what did he do? Instead of changing, he dug deeper in the rut. 
Okay? He just went further. It's like whenever God gives you a, a yellow light, He means, hold up. But when King Ahaz got the yellow light, he went right through it. And he went deeper in it. And the rut just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And sometimes in our lives, when we're going in the wrong direction, God will place a yellow light up there to turn around because this thing is about to take all your spiritual strength away. It's about to take all your spiritual peace away. It's about to, it's about to take all of your spiritual joy away. You keep going down that road uh, 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 of, you know, whatever it may be. God may be convicting you of this, that, or the other. Maybe pride, maybe telling dirty jokes, maybe looking at things you shouldn't look at, maybe doing all kinds of stuff, maybe it's gossip or whatever it may be. But God will warn you. The Spirit of God will warn you. He will give you a yellow light and say, hold up. You want to continue down that path, it might cost you your spiritual strength. It might cost you your spiritual joy. Everybody walks around wondering why people in the church don't have any joy and don't have any peace. I'll tell you. It's because they go through spiritual yellow lights. They continue going in the wrong path. and what? Because we're hard-headed. And we'll continue going in the wrong path until we go bankrupt. Right? People, people will, will do it. And look what it says. I love how it, says, how it concludes that verse. It says, In the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. Yeah, this is that guy. Don't be that guy. In the time of his distress, he trespassed even more. Yeah, that's that guy. Don't be like him. When we're messing up, when the Lord's dealing with us, when the Lord's convicting us, when we know something's not right according to God's Word, when the Spirit of God is giving us a strong yellow light of warning, don't be like that. You don't want God to say, yeah, that's that guy. When he was messing up, he trespassed even more. See, when we're messing up, we should be saying, Lord, help me. Lord, I don't want to do anything that displeases you. I want, to be a, a, I want to be a holy witness for you. I, it's not about me. It's not about who's right. It's not about me being first. It's not about me being right. It's, Lord, it's about you being lifted up. It's about people seeing you through me. Amen? Think about this. Think about whenever the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, how many times should we forgive our, our neighbor when he trespasses against us? And look, they threw out seven times. Right? How many of you are willing to forgive somebody seven times for doing you wrong? But that eighth time, you do me wrong, I'm going to kick you in the shin. But Jesus said, no, not seven times. He said 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That's how many times you're to forgive. What's the meaning of it? The meaning is to stop counting. That's the meaning. Because you know you're going to lose count. Because sometimes somebody's done you wrong three times and you, it feels like 300. Right? This is the 300th time you've done me that way and it's only the third time. But it feels that way when we've been done wrong. The point of it is to stop counting. Amen? Yeah. Alright. Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 real quick. Philippians chapter number 3. I'm going to show you how to how to navigate through this. When, when we're talking about getting stuck spiritually, uh, you know, 
we're talking about somebody who is who probably knows better. Don't you don't you know that King Ahaz knew better? If, and look, if, if you'll read Second uh, Chronicles 28, what you'll see is there was a point in time that God actually sent a, a prophet, you know, in that day and time. So there were prophets in that hour. There were God's people in that hour. In fact, King Ahaz's son was one of the best kings that Israel ever had in Hezekiah. He restored the house of God. Um, he was the one that restarted the Passover. Um, he, he, he really got the nation headed back in the right direction. Well, how did he know all that? When he became a king, how did he know? How did Ahaz's son know to return to the things of God? Because there were still ministers out there. So Ahaz, he knew what he was doing wrong. But he proceeded to do wrong anyways. That is shameless pride. Shameless pride. There was probably people, probably his wife, probably Hezekiah's mom, right? Was saying, Ahaz, now you know that this is against God's law. And he probably said, oh yeah? Well, I'm going to do it even worse, right? When he, when he figured out that he was distressed, he trespassed against the Lord even worse. Philippians chapter 3, I want to show you how to navigate through this uh, being stuckness. In verse number 12, this is something that the Apostle Paul uh, shows us here in verse number 12. It says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not there yet. I have not finished my race yet. You haven't finished your race. You might be doing good on your race, but your race is not over yet. And when he says that he's not, uh, he's not already perfect, that means he's not, been, he's not crossed the finish line yet. Amen? Amen? There is still a work in front of you before you cross the finish line. If God was done with you, He would take you home. But God's not done with you. God. You've still got a course in front of you. Amen. Finish strong. Finish strong. Finish well. Look, the past five years, they're great. The last ten years, they're great. But look, however much time you got left, finish stronger. Finish stronger than the way you began. Don't finish haphazardly. Don't trip over the finish line. Get over it. Finish Strong. And he's going to show you how. Watch this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So that's what he says. He's, he's going after to apprehend that which he's apprehended of, but he, he counts not himself to apprehended, but this one thing I do. Right? So don't say you've, you've already arrived. You don't have it all together. Right? I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing. one thing. one thing. This is the attitude of the heart of somebody who doesn't get stuck. How many of you want to stay in a place where you don't get stuck? Right? How many of you have been stuck spiritually? Amen. And it's not fun. Because when you're stuck, you don't know if you're going to get out or not. Because there's a part of you that likes to waller in the pig pen. There's a part of you that likes to be emboldened, shameless, 
Oh, yeah, buddy? Watch this. There's a part of you. That's your flesh. When your flesh gets in the pig pen, it likes it. Your flesh wallers in the pig pen. So when you venture over in there, it's a dangerous place because your flesh is winning. Your flesh is strong. But if you'll feed the Spirit, the Spirit is stronger. If you'll feed the Spirit, the Spirit is stronger. I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, and you all said one thing, so here you go. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into the things which are before. This is what he does. Now, most of us think of forgetting the things behind us as our bad moments. How many of you, you know, whenever you've done somebody wrong or you've showed your tail, you want people to forget about it, right? When you tell people, you're, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, cutting you off. I'm sorry for doing you wrong. You want those people to forgive you and forget about it, right? But, but we're not just talking about our bad. Because everybody wants their bad forgotten. But if you'll read this in context, Paul's talking about his good. He's talking about his good things that he did. He said, even the good that I've done... I'm not, hanging on my, I'm not hanging my hat on what I did yesterday. Maybe yesterday you went and you, you know, did this, that, or the other. But I'm forgetting what is behind me. Because you know why? It'll, it'll get you stuck. It'll get you stuck. Yesterday is yesterday. It's over. You can't go back in it. I was telling them earlier, you know, if you figured out how to go back into yesterday, let me know. Because there's some things I would like to correct. But I hadn't figured out how to go back to yesterday. Amen. You can't. You can't change what happened. And in the same way, the good that you did is yesterday. Today's a new day. Ten years ago, you might have been a ball of fire for God. What are you today? What are you today? Ten years ago, you might have been a scoundrel. Don't matter. What are you today? Today is what matters. Today is the day of salvation. And so Paul here is saying that he forgets those things that are behind. And what does he do? He reaches forward. Presses forward. Watch. Number one, he reaches forward. That means I'm, I'm striving to go further in the Lord. Not content to doggy paddle. Not content to doggy paddle in the Lord, but to go further in the Lord. Uh, you know, God hasn't called you to maintain. Come on. God hasn't called you to maintain. God has called you to be like Christ. Amen. He didn't doggy paddle. He lived a holy life. And that costs you. Daily. Dying to self. If you die to self, there is no doggy paddling in that. That is completely and wholeheartedly giving your life to God on a daily basis. Not rising up to be yourself and to vindicate yourself amongst anyone else but rising up to wholly and completely be clay in the hands of God. Whatever you desire me to do, God, whatever you desire me to say, however you desire me to respond, however you desire me to love, I'll be clay in your hands. And God will say, I want you to love that guy right there. I want you to love him. He'll say, but, but, but he's mean. 
But He's already turned you down 20 times, God. How many times did you turn God down? You see, we're quick to cut people off. We're quick to say, well, you know, they're just not Christians. I mean, they're, they're just not Christians. Well, you know, there was a day that you weren't. But somebody at some point had love and compassion on you and shared the gospel with you and shared God's love with you. How do you expect for them to go from outside to inside the family of God? You sharing God's gospel with them. You sharing God's love with them. Don't just complain that they're a, they're a, you know what? They're a Gentile walking in the vanity of their mind. In fact, their, their, their heart is darkened. They're alienated from the life of, you know what, you know what that is? It's, it's belly aching about people that are worldly being worldly. What else do you expect them to be? If they're not right with God, why do you expect them to be loving and gentle and kind and peaceful and joyful? If they're not right with God, guess what? That's what you got. But you shouldn't be acting like them. You should be sharing the love of Christ. And so here, he says that, number one, he forgets the things which are behind, and then he, he strives. He reaches forward, right? He goes forward. And I want to ask you, number one, are you holding on to the good things that you did or the bad things you did yesterday? Because if you are, you're stuck. That's the number one issue right now. If you're holding on to what, who, who were you for the Lord five years ago? I did this for God, I did that for God. What are you doing today? Today's a new day. You do it today. And it's not always about doing. It's about how your heart is with God. Because sometimes you can do the right thing, but with the wrong heart. You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith. It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. Maybe yesterday you went and you, you know, did this, that, or the other, but I'm forgetting what is behind me, because you know why? It'll, it'll get you stuck. It'll get you stuck. Yesterday is yesterday. It's over. You can't go back in it. I was telling them earlier, you know, if you figured out how to go back into yesterday, let me know, because there's some things I would like to correct. But I hadn't figured out how to go back to yesterday. You can't. You can't change what happened. And in the same way, the good that you did is yesterday. Today's a new day. Ten years ago, you might have been a ball of fire for God. What are you today? What are you today? Ten years ago, you might have been a scoundrel. Don't matter. What are you today? Today is what matters. Today is the day of salvation. And so Paul here is saying that he forgets those things that are behind. And what does he do? He reaches forward. Presses forward. Watch. Number one, he reaches forward. That means I'm, I'm striving to go further in the Lord. Not content to doggy paddle. 
Not content to doggy paddle in the Lord, but to go further in the Lord. Uh, you know, God hasn't called you to maintain. Come on. God hasn't called you to maintain. God has called you to be like Christ. He didn't doggy paddle. He lived a holy life. And that costs you daily. Dying to self. If you die to self, there is no doggy paddling in that. That is completely and wholeheartedly giving your life to God on a daily basis. Not rising up to be yourself and to vindicate yourself amongst anyone else, but rising up to wholly and completely be clay in the hands of God. Whatever you desire me to do, God, whatever you desire me to say, however you desire me to respond, however you desire me to love, I'll be clay in your hands. And God will say, I want you to love that guy right there. I want you to love him. He'll say, but, but, but he's mean. But he's already turned you down 20 times, God. How many times did you turn God down? You see, we're quick to cut people off. We're quick to say, well, you know, they're just not Christians. I mean, they're, they're just not Christians. Well, you know, there was a day that you weren't. But somebody at some point had love and compassion on you and shared the gospel with you and shared God's love with you. How do you expect for them to go from outside to inside the family of God? You sharing God's gospel with them. You sharing God's love with them. Don't just complain that they're a, they're a, you know what? They're a Gentile walking in the vanity of their mind. In fact, their, their, their heart is darkened they're alienated from the life. You know what, you know what that is? It's, it's belly aching about people that are worldly being worldly. What else do you expect them to be? If they're not right with God, why do you expect them to be loving and gentle and kind and peaceful and joyful? If they're not right with God, guess what? That's what you got. But you shouldn't be acting like them. You should be sharing the love of Christ. And so here, he says that, number one, he forgets the things which are behind, and then he, he strives. He reaches forward, right? He goes forward. And I want to ask you, number one, are you holding on to the good things that you did or the bad things you did yesterday? Because if you are, you're stuck. That's the number one issue right now. If you're holding on to what, who, who were you for the Lord five years ago? I did this for God, I did that for God. What are you doing today? Today's a new day. You do it today. And it's not always about doing. It's about how your heart is with God. Because sometimes you can do the right thing, but with the wrong heart. So number one, don't hold on to yesterday. Number two, this is another indicator for whether you're stuck or not, are you reaching forward? Are you moving forward to grow closer to Jesus? Are you allowing Him to daily refine you? Are you allowing Him to daily remove things out of your life that are not of Him? Are you daily growing stronger? Are you daily becoming more like Him? Are you reaching forward? Are you, or you're reaching to the side. 
If you're reaching forward, it, this is an indication that you're striving to be more like Jesus. One of the marks of Jesus' life on earth, the first thing that comes to my mind is holiness. He was holy. The second thing that comes to mind is He was compassionate. He was holy and compassionate. And if you can, if you can tread those and model your life like His... You see, whenever somebody says that we should be like Jesus, he's not talking about wearing sandals and a white robe and growing a beard. When he says you need to be like Jesus, he's talking about being holy, being just, and kind, patient, long-suffering, gentle. All the fruit of the Spirit Jesus exhibited. And those are the, those are the qualities that we should be like. Long-suffering and compassionate. Think about Jesus' compassion. How many times, when you read through the four Gospels, how many times do you see in there this phrase, and He had compassion on them? When was the last time you had compassion on folks? When was the last time you had compassion on folks? What about the folks that didn't deserve it, though? Now, it's easy to have compassion on folks that deserve it, right? But what about people that don't deserve it? When was the last time, let me say it like this since we're in America, when was the last time Democrats had compassion on Republicans? When was the last time Republicans had compassion on Democrats? You know what I'm saying? The people that you don't normally hope succeed in life. When was the last time you had compassion on them? Because that's what you've been called to do. You've been called to live above the world system. If you're a believer in God, your existence is not to a political party. If you're a believer in God, you've been called to a higher life. You've been called to a higher standard. You should not belong to anybody but God. Amen. God's called you to live a holy life in a fallen world and to be a vessel for Him to use, to be a holy light, to reflect Christ, to share His gospel with others. So, number one, if, we're, if, if we hold on to the past, we're going to get stuck and number two, if we're not growing to become more like Christ, we're going to get stuck. But do you know there's a third part to that? Next verse. Because you know sometimes you can reach forward and there's a, little, there's a little pushback. How many of you have ever tried to live for God and you experienced a little, little uh, pushback from the enemy? Yeah. Right? The enemy knows how to push on you. You know how to expose your pride. You try to do something for God, and then somebody says, well, I could have done that in one hour. It took you a day, right? You say, That's the last time I'm ever going to do that. When was the last time you, you did something for the Lord, and somebody, maybe they didn't thank you, or maybe they didn't do this right? A little pushback. You know, there's times you might stand up and, and uh, do something for God, pray for somebody, and they say, that was a horrible prayer. What is that? All that is is pushback from the enemy. That's all that is. It's pushback from the enemy. So whenever you're reaching forward to be more like Christ, expect resistance. If the enemy's not resisting you, guess what? You're going downstream. Amen. Everything's great. There's no resistance. You're going the wrong direction then. Because if you're going the right direction, you're going to continually be pushing against the current of Satan. 
Now, everybody likes a life of least resistance. I mean, in electrical, I can tell you about that. The path of least resistance is tough. It'll get you hurt. The path of least resistance is going the way the world goes. Let me say it like this. I just don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to stand out too bad. As I shared with you the other day, uh, John Wesley, he, no, Leonard Ravenhill, he said it's easier to wear a cross than to bear a cross. And let me give you a mic drop moment. Jesus didn't call you to wear a cross around your neck. He called you to bear one and be crucified daily. He called you to bear your cross daily, not wear your cross. I'm not knocking crosses around your neck. I'm just telling you, Christ didn't call you to wear it. He called you to bear it. What good does it do to wear it when you're floating downstream? Exit this life with a cross around your neck, but on the wrong side of heaven, it's not going to help you out. You can't hold a cross and get into heaven. You've got to bear it. Bear it. Now, when you forget the past, whether it's good or bad, and then you strive to be like Christ, you're going to experience pushback. But what does he say next? I press. So I'm reaching forward and I'm expecting somebody to make fun of me. I'm reaching forward and I'm expecting to fall on my face. I'm reaching forward and I'm expecting no dominoes to fall. But when the enemy pushes back on me and everything starts going wrong, I don't stop. I press forward. Look what he says. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You're one of two people. You're either willing to get stuck in your, in your rut and not get out of it, or you're going to be the kind of person that doesn't hold your hat on yesterday and reaches forward in Christ to be more like Him. And when the enemy pushes back, I didn't say if, when the enemy pushes back, you press. You press, right? When was the last time the enemy pushed back on you and you pressed forward? Don't let all the hands go up at one time. <laughs> Most of the time when the enemy pushes back against us, we go, oh, oh, I'm never doing that again. That's the last time I serve on the hospitality team. Nobody said hi to me. Oh, that's the last time I cook for the church. Nobody said thank you. That's the last time, you know, I do this or I do that because it didn't, it didn't work the way I thought it would work. How many times I talk to people that they say, oh yeah, I used to do this, I used to do that for God, but the results didn't happen the way I thought they should happen. Well, who's the potter? The results didn't happen the way you thought. Well, who are you? You're not God. You're not the one in charge of results. You're supposed to be faithful to what God's given you to do. God's the one who brings the results to pass. The battle, don't forget that, the battle belongs to the Lord, not to you. Your job is to be faithful and fight. 
God's job is to bring it to pass. Well, it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. When I thought it would happen. Well, who are you? You're not God. Quit dictating to God how it's supposed to be. You're not the potter. You're the clay. I think our generation in the church would love to rewrite that song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, to I'm Having My Way, Lord. We said it this morning. National Anthem of Hell is what? I did it my way. And when we want to rewrite that song, I did it my way. Instead of singing, Lord, have your way. Have your way in this. Have your way in that. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to reach forward. And when I get pushed back, I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize. That's what I'm going to do. That's what you've been called to do. That's how you stay moving forward and not stuck in a rut. That's how you move forward. Let me share with you one other thing. Turn over there to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. I want to I get Jude's voice on this real quick. What the Lord said through Jude. It's an uh, important thing here. Jude. Look in verse number 3 of Jude. Okay, beloved. So, think he's talking to Christians? You think he's talking to Christians? Okay, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you. You see, there's times in your life whenever God needs to remind you of a truth. And this, this book of Jude is written to remind you and to exhort you to a specific issue. Watch this. It's needful for me to write you and exhort you that you should, everybody say, I should. I Try that again. It says that you, you should. Everybody say, I should. I okay, now don't laugh on yourself. All right, exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. I just don't know what God's plan is for my life. Well, here's one. Earnestly contend for the faith. How do you earnestly contend for the faith? Well, we just talked about. Now getting stuck in a rut. Forgetting your past, pushing forward, and when pushback comes, press forward. That's how you stay going forward, right? You, you know my saying, if you're not front sliding, you're back sliding. Right? Does God do the gray areas? No. With God, things are black or white. You're either moving forward or backwards. And so, you don't, you, if you don't want to backslide, you've got to front slide. Okay, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Watch this. For there are certain men crept in unawares. In other words, people are coming into your camp and you don't realize it. Why is this important? Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation? 
Ungodly men. Here you go. One of the biggest problems we have in the church today is because people want to live how they want to live. They want to do what they want to do. And even when the Bible calls them out on it, they refuse to change. Even when the Word of God exposes that they are wrong, they refuse to change, much like King Ahaz. When he, tra- when he, when he was in distress, you know when, the, you know when the Word convicts you, you kind of get in a little bit of distress. And when King Ahaz was in distress, he trespassed even more. I says, yeah, that's that guy. Well, this is what this is the danger. And listen, this there's there's three specific um, there's three specific groups that this references. If you'll read um, a few commentaries on it, well, watch this. This is the main sin, and this this same sin is in the church today. We're still battling it. Jude wrote this two thousand years ago, or nineteen hundred years ago, and we're still battling the same issue today. These ungodly men are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Don't tell me how to live. I'm under God's grace. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. I'm under God's grace. I can do what I want to do. Turning the grace of God into sin. License to sin. Well, I may not be as bad as everybody else, Don't use God's grace for a license to sin because what it does is it gets you into lasciviousness. I want to show you this. This I want you to grab hold of. If you say, I'm not as bad as somebody else, and you use God's grace for a license to sin, that is lasciviousness. All that shows is that the Word of God convicted you in an area, and instead of saying, Okay, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. And being humble before God, what that shows is you say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going out and, and um, you know, committing adultery. I'm just watching it on my computer. Harboring it in my heart. Right? You justify it because you're not as bad as somebody else, but it's still sin. Amen. It's still sin. And it'll keep you out of the kingdom. Adulterers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Need to reread 1 Corinthians 6. Some folks need to read it twice, maybe. I mean, I know that's hard. Some people might need to read that twice. Watch out. Be careful. We're talking about our souls. Don't lie to yourself and turn the grace of God into a license for sin because it will bring you into the rut of lasciviousness. And that is what people do today. They will use grace as a license to sin. Well, you know, I'm only telling a lie so that I can get a better job so that I can tithe more. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Remember remember that story? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not as bad as that guy. But people use grace as a license to sin. But God has called you to live a holy life, not walking like the other Gentiles in the vanity of your mind, having your mind darkened. 
God's called you to be like Jesus. So they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, and the other thing that this group did, if you study this group, one of their names is, is uh, the Simonets, uh, and the other one is the Gnostics. But what they did is they denied the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they used God's grace as a license to sin. And that brings you into a place of spiritual rut. Spiritual rut. How many of you know that there's only one way to get out of it, though? It's to go to Jesus. It's to go to Jesus. That's what Paul was explaining. He was, when he's saying, I'm forgetting what's behind, I'm going to Jesus. I'm reaching forward. And when the enemy says, you're not good enough, I'm going to press through that and I'm still going to get to Jesus. You know, there's times that I go to pray and then the enemy says, yeah, but you know, you didn't do this today. You go to study your word and the enemy will say, yeah, but you didn't, you're not good enough. You didn't do this today. You didn't do that today. The enemy condemns you. That's what he does. He condemns. He tells you you're not good enough. He tells you to stop trying. He tells you to quit. And yet, God compels you to come. Jesus says, come. Come unto me, all you, right? Who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. See, Jesus, if you'll come to Him brokenly, He will minister to your soul. He will put within you what your flesh cannot do. He will put spiritual strength in you. Give you the ability to love the unlovable. Give you the ability to have peace in the middle of chaos. Give you the ability to forgive others when they just don't deserve it. Give you the ability to serve Him when you feel worthless. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Grace empowers you to serve God despite your failures. That's what grace is. Let me close with 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 in closing. It says in verse number 9 that if we confess our sins, hello, talking to somebody. You know who wants you to confess your sins? Jesus. Do you know what it means to confess your sins? You know what it means? It doesn't mean jailhouse religion. You know what I mean by that? I was talking to a, a minister at a prison, and we were talking about how, you know, what we pray for is that God changes people. We're not talking about just, you know, that they become a better parent, but if they will receive Christ, they'll become a better, a new person, right? Complete change. And, and, and when we confess to God, we're, we're willing to undergo a complete change on that issue. See, I remember growing up, it was just, you know, just say you're sorry before you go to bed. Sorry and repentance are two different things. Being sorry and being repentant are two different things. Being sorry is, I'm sorry I got caught. 
How many, how many of us are sorry when we get caught doing something? Amen. Or sorry when we've done somebody wrong? But to repent means to change. Repent means, I've, I, now I see there's a different way to do this. Now I see there's a God way to do this. That's what repentance is. Change of mind, and then it changes your course of action. It's a complete turn. And what this means, when it says if we confess our sins, the word, th this word means homo legeos. Homo legeos is what that word means. It means you agree with God's word. Homo legeos. How many of you know what the word homo means? If you, if you are alive in 2018, you know that the enemy uses that word. It's two of the same thing. Two of the same thing. Homo legeos means that you... Homo legeos. How many of y'all know what the logos is? In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the logos. So this word confession means homo legeos. It means you and the word of God agreeing over an issue. So what does that? How does that play out in my life? It means when the word of God says that liars shall not have their part right in the kingdom of God. Liars go in the lake of fire. I go, Lord, I lied today, but your word says that liars have their part in the lake of fire. I agree with your word, and I'm sorry. And that changes you. Agreeing with God. Saying, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong, and I'm doing it your way now. That's what it means to confess. It means to come in alignment with God's Word. That's what a true confession is. Until you come into confession of God's Word, you're going to be going in the wrong direction, going downstream, and trying to paint yourself like you go upstream. It'd be, that's a hard road. But if we confess our sins, this is the promise of God. Those of us that have messed up, those of us that have messed up before, those of us that have not attained, those of us that have not been perfected yet, those of us that still have issues from time to time, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and to cleanse all our unrighteousness. If you'll confess your sins to Jesus this morning, come into agreement with His Word, put it under the blood, He will forgive you, and He will cleanse you, and He will make you a new person today. And you should do that on a daily basis. If you don't do it on a daily basis, you will be stuck in a rut, which is a grave with the ends kicked out. Don't stay stuck in a rut. Have revival. Go after Jesus. Amen? Amen. And confess. And let God do a work in you today. You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith.